Every company manager wants to hit those forecasts for quarterly earnings. After all, shareholders are watching and stock prices can drop very quickly after a failure to meet expectations. So, if there's a risk of that happening, it makes sense to take action as soon as possible. Now, that often means cuts in spending, as well as demands that workers increase productivity, you know, doing more and doing it faster. Now, that can stabilize the confidence of investors, and that's good for the short term. But here's a warning for corporate managers from Judson Caskey. Don't get myopic by thinking that shareholders are your only concern. Caskey is a professor of accounting at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. His work includes analyzing the content of accounting disclosures and how people process that content. I'm Warren Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of UCLA Anderson. I'm joined by Professor Judson Caskey, and Professor, great to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. So companies are under pressure to meet those early projections. Yes. Investors watch them closely. It affects stock prices and affects executives via either their own equity-based compensation or their career prospects. So the stakes are high. What do you mean by getting myopic under these circumstances? Focusing only on hitting the earnings numbers and kind of losing sight of what costs might be incurred. So an analogy would be, uh, you see this in playoff games in the NBA where somebody might play through an injury in order to win a game, but that might end up like tearing a tendon that has a long-term impact on their career. So in the context of companies hitting their earnings targets, sometimes to boost productivity, they might cut spending on things like maintenance and safety or to improve the speed of work, you can circumvent certain safety measures, and that can help you hit the earnings number, but it can also lead to higher injuries, which can affect your workforce. And for the individuals who get injured, it can have potentially like devastating effects on their lives and the lives of their families. One of the examples that I know you use is a time when in a steel company, somebody had liquid steel poured on him. Yeah, I think it was they were not giving the appropriate sort of right away to the device that was holding the liquid steel. And yeah, steel ended up getting poured on this person and the person died about two days later. And this is something where the person probably thought they were just taking a shortcut through the workspace, but it has major devastating implications just for that might have been like just saving like a minute of time. In addition to the steel issue, are there any particular incidents that you can cite? Disney, they had some Disney World employees died and union representatives had said that it was because of understaffing and fatigue. And then they had beaten their earnings in those quarters when that happened. It's just an anecdote, McDonald's, where they had safety complaints from employees from 19 different cities in a time when they were just barely hitting their earnings and revenue forecast. So when the management then is pushing for more productivity, you're suggesting that workers, and in this case, apparently this is what happened, are likely to take shortcuts themselves in order to try to meet the requirements, and there can be some serious results of that. Yeah, and what we look at are injuries that are tracked by OSHA, and so these are fairly major. These would be things that require days away from work, uh, hospitalizations, and so on. So, you know, you might see this, for example, in retail. It's not just that, you know, you didn't take a break and you 
get a sore back that night. It's that you didn't take a break. Your back gets strained and you need to see a physical therapist. Or in manufacturing, you know, you can have things where somebody like breaks a finger and equipment. So these would be like fairly major injuries that we have in our study. But, you know, there are many other circumstances of more minor things, you know, like over time, not taking appropriate rest breaks and so on. For example, they might not result in an immediate injury, but these things can build up over time through things like slip discs, hernias, and so on. So you looked at data from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, at both manufacturing and retail. Surprising that this holds true with retail as well as manufacturing. With retail, when you think about some of the activities involved, it's not too surprising. A lot of the injuries would be things related to people involved with warehousing type activities, like either stocking shelves in the store, driving forklifts in the warehouses, in food and entertainment. You get that a lot. So think about a restaurant's kitchen. There are probably more opportunities for injury than there are in a typical manufacturing setting. You know, people working with like hot frying pans and so on. So are managers, do you think, then obsessed with the short term? Is that what leads to this kind of thing? I don't think that they're like actively viewing them as putting their employees at risk. You know, you get too focused on hitting some earnings number and then you might lose sight of that. I mean, this is in a sense why a lot of factory floors, they have these giant signs saying, you know, safety is number one and so on to remind themselves. Keep in mind the safety while they are pursuing like the company's other goals of like serving their customers and making profits and so on. I know that there are some things that kind of mitigate the consequences of this. One of them, as I understand from your study, is having unionization. Yeah, exactly. Because so whereas the uh, managers, you know, they're going to have their compensation in place to focus them on making profits. But when you think of unions, you know, they typically have people that are there specifically looking at worker safety. Um, that's a big part of the negotiations with employers. And they have, um, you know, designated processes for filing grievances related to safety. You know, while the managers have their job is serving the customers, making profits, you also have with a union, somebody whose job is to keep track of things like compliance with the safety procedures. You know, so the union automatically sort of has somebody in place to keep people's focus from deviating too far from safety or to make sure that as the company is pursuing its goals for productivity, that it do so in a way that doesn't compromise uh, worker safety. Are there other factors besides unionization that sort of mitigate this situation, make it less aggravated than it has to be? The couple that we had looked at, there was unionization and then we had looked at workers' compensation. Where that comes into play is workers' compensation typically is based on a base rate that's determined at the state level, then that's multiplied by a number that's determined by a formula that's pretty standard across all states. So you might have a base multiplier of a premium of one, for example, and it'll be, say, like, I don't know, $2 per worker. I'm just making up a number you know, for your state. And then if you have the base rate, you'll get $2 per worker. But if you have injuries, those impact this base rate. So you have an injury, it might go up to like 1.1, 1.2. And so then you're multiplying that times a $2 per worker. So these multipliers are affected by injuries similarly across states, but the base rates are very different. So for example, like North Dakota and California, their base rates are different substantially. And so we would see more injuries in the places where it's 
cheaper. So for example, we'd see more injuries in like the North Dakotas and not in the Californias. And I, I don't know that that's so much of an issue of people willing to take injuries, but the fact that there is this higher cost to having injuries that naturally is going to make the managers more cognizant of safety in order to economize on those workers' compensation costs. So that was one area where we saw, and the other was with government contracting, because many government contracts have like minimum safety requirements. So in, in some cases, like a lot of defense contracts, you can't even bid on a contract unless you meet their safety requirements. So we had some examples in the paper where, for example, like Johnson Controls was shut out from bidding on a $600 million project because they didn't provide adequate data on their workplace safety or you know, California where I am, you know, anybody bidding on a government contract has to have, you know, a satisfactory safety record as defined by the state. When you have these things in place, you know, that kind of forces the profit seeking motive to work in conjunction with the safety motive because of, you know, if part of your business is getting government contracts, well, if you don't have the safety, you don't have the contract, you don't have the profit. Well, let's go back to the pressures that are being felt by managers in order to meet the quarterly earnings. How serious are they? It is a challenge because um, managers are incentivized to maximize shareholder value, which, which has its merits. And so you have the stock price reactions themselves. And whenever the stock price drops, the manager's pay is directly impacted because most of their wealth is going to be tied up in equity incentives. You have that for an immediate impact, but then it also has impacts on their career. So if you have managers, say, repeatedly missing earnings forecasts, then the board of directors might seek to replace them. It's very hard for managers to avoid focusing on hitting the earnings numbers because, in a sense, that's what the world is telling them to do, whether it be the stock price reactions or the impacts on career prospects. So if, in fact, they're subject to these kinds of pressures and you don't want them to be myopic, they do have these quarterly reports to meet, what alternatives are there to uh, cutting spending and uh, pushing the troops to do more work? So those are always going to be there. So I think some is just them consciously reminding themselves that in addition to like, you know, this flashing red light, so to speak, in front of them, telling them to hit the earnings numbers to really keep in mind that it's also important to ensure you do that in a way that doesn't compromise worker safety. And over the long run, you know, that can pay off because when you have an unsafe workplace, it's associated with other things like employee turnover. So you might lose, especially if you have something like skilled employees, you might you know, have excessive turnover, which can be costly in the long run, or employees might just demand higher pay. They might say, I'm willing to you know, work in this dangerous environment, but you have to pay me more in order to do that. You know, ultimately, these things catch up. And so they have to not get distracted by this like immediate sort of pressure for the earnings, but keep in mind these longer term ramifications. And then also just, you know, the morality of it. Like, you know, nobody, you know, wants to see an employee having a debilitating injury. Um, you know, the managers, you know, these are human beings. They're not heartless people. And so, you know, I'm sure when these injuries happen, the managers feel awful about it. So it's, you know, perhaps helpful for them to remind themselves that you really don't want to live with that. You know, knowing that you've pressured your employees so much that it you know, pushed them to the brink and then, you know, they end up with some severe injury. So this is really advice to uh, think in terms of the long term rather than just the short term. Yeah. 
And then also for shareholders to be understanding that there's limits to how much you can push in order to hit an earnings number. So for example, if a manager says that we pushed ourselves to our maximum, say, utilization and throughput in our facilities, where that maximum utilization is defined as what can we do at a safe level? You know, and investors need to, I think, be somewhat understanding of that. What about the focus on quarterly returns? Why are they so important in and of themselves when obviously there are long-term interests on the part of investors as well as the companies? Even like the study we look at, we're looking at annual earnings just because that's what the data are. But with the quarterly and annual earnings, these are both, you know, in the life of a company, fairly short horizon. A lot has to do with that the quarterly and the annual near-term earnings are informative about the company's long-run profitability. So think about a horse race. If you want to see which horse is fastest, you look to see which horse is fast in the current race. Or if you want to see which like, you know, team plays the best, well, you see who has a winning record you know, in the near term. And it's the same thing with companies. So if companies are performing well now, you typically use as an indicator that they're going to continue performing well. And so that's in a sense like why they're important. Like if you look at the overall company's value, one quarters or one year earnings are typically, you know, not very much compared to like overall stock price. So it's unlikely that they're going to go under as a result of not meeting the expectations. They won't go under. Where the real cost comes is that if you come in with a low earnings number today, then investors will revise their expectations about the whole stream of future earnings. And that's where a lot of the pressure comes from. So think about if a company has price to earnings multiple of say like 20. Well, if your earnings come in 10 cents less, then your share price is going to drop by $2. Also, it might be compounded because then the price to earnings multiple reflects growth expectations. And then investors might say, well, now, you know, instead of having a price to earnings multiple of 20, we're going to change it to 18 because we don't think you're growing as fast. And then that, you know, results in like a double whammy on stock price. So that's where the real big impacts on share value come from is that you miss the earnings expectations. You're missing not only this period's earnings, but then you're also missing in a sense, like what investors have been expecting for the company's growth. Does it pay to be very realistic about expectations and perhaps even underestimate? Managers do try to adjust expectations to ensure they're not unrealistic or a more cynical view is that oftentimes they try to adjust expectations so that they can beat them by a little bit. Let's say if you know your earnings per share are going to be $1.50, you might try to convince analysts they're going to be $1.45 so that you can beat them. But that also creates problems in and of itself, because if the manager says, hey, we think the earnings per share are going to be $1.50, well, if they come up much different than that, it's going to look like the manager doesn't know what's going on at uh, his or her company, which creates another source of pressure to hit the target. You suggested at one point that it's important to try to get shareholders to be more understanding. How do you do that? I think it's on the role of managers to clearly convey realistic expectations about what the company can and cannot do and sort of what their philosophies are for running the business to make sure to communicate well with investors that, you know, when you say here's our expected productivity, that that reflects what can and cannot be done within the constraints of technological constraints, safety constraints, and so on. Think about from a shareholder's perspective, the only place they're going to really learn that is from the company's management. So most people, for example, if I buy shares in like Amazon or Exxon or something like that, I have no idea, you know, what it takes to run an 
oil business or what it takes to run a retailer or a streaming business. So the manager needs to communicate how their business runs to the investors so that they understand. You have once again looked at data from OSHA. And I'm wondering, did you conclude from the data that this issue of myopia is widespread and that people really need to be warned about it? Yeah, it's hard to say like how many companies it affects, but yeah, like on average, I'd say it is fairly widespread. I mean, one way to look at it is if it wasn't widespread, we wouldn't have been able to detect anything in our test because we're looking at pretty large samples of companies. Yeah, I think it's like roughly like 3000 companies we're looking at. And then a lot of our tests, we look at individual like establishment levels. So these would be like a factory for a manufacturer or a store for a retailer, like so like 30,000 establishments. The effects we're detecting are like on average. So it in a sense has to be fairly widespread. Lots of companies are owned by other companies. Does the kind of pressure you're talking about come from the broader owners as well as from the individual companies themselves? When we're looking at the earnings targets, we're all looking at these at sort of the parent company level. So they would all be coming from, in a sense, from the top. They are, though, that have the greatest knowledge about what the consequences of or up work might be. They might not have intimate knowledge of it, but you know, if you're managing a company, you should have some idea of how the company runs and what some of the risks would be. And you can you know, incentivize the plant managers to have a good safety record. And some companies do this. So they'll include in the compensation for a plant manager, some of it might be based on the facility productivity or profits, but also on you know, maintaining safety records. Well, I think I want to point out that your paper on this was judged to be the best paper over five years. This was in 2022 by the American Accounting Association of Financial Accounting and Reporting Section. That's pretty high praise. So I gather this is something that is generally felt to be needed, and you're uh, able to help to supply some advice and counsel that is required. It's great to get that award. And one reason it got that is because there's been a lot of work in accounting on how does, you know, sort of this myopic meeting targets type behavior affect investors. So whether it be through accounting manipulations, causing investors to perhaps overpay for stock or managers sacrificing long-term value by cutting to the bone on R&D or advertising. So these are all hitting targets and affects investors, but this is really the first paper showing how it affects like other parties, in particular, the employees. And then there's been other work related to this, not just on like employee welfare, but like environmental considerations, like companies taking you know, short-term measures to circumvent, you know, things like scrubbers and smokestacks and so on that can be turned on and off. They consume a lot of electricity. So sometimes companies that are desperate to hit their earnings numbers might shut these down. And so it's like, you know, broadening the scope of when we look at these incentives to hit earnings numbers of not just how does it affect investors, but other parties. In the case of our study, it's the company's employees. And in case of the environmental studies, it'd be like the broader population. So obviously, an enormous number of considerations involved. What about in the case of retail particularly? How might this affect customers? My guess is the customers probably are not aware of this too much because in retail, a lot of the opportunities for injury would be behind the scenes from a customer's perspective. You know, Unless they see somebody, for example, fall from a ladder or get hurt 
in the store while they're there. You know, a lot of the potential for injury are back in the warehouses that the customers don't see. The only visibility they might have to it is if that causes a delay for getting something on the shelves. And in that case, the customer might not really be thinking that maybe somebody's like injured in the back of the store, but thinking like, you know, where's my toaster? So they probably don't see it too much or even like in restaurant spaces, because a lot of these in retail where these things can happen, again, they're somewhat like invisible to the customers. On the other hand, if you're cutting costs and asking people to work faster and so on, might there be reductions in service that the customers would notice? And might that be damaging to business? If it's something like that, perhaps, but if they're working faster, I mean, the customers may actually like it. It's unfortunate, but like a lot of customers, you hear about this in regard to like other aspects of consumer behavior that they're not necessarily aware of some of the things that are done in order to give them quickly delivered and expensive goods. What's your advice to managers and how would you put it as briefly and concisely as you could? I mean, my main advice would be to make sure when you're pursuing the company goals that you do it in a way that doesn't compromise safety. You're not in the business of prescribing what ought to happen, but uh, you do have hopes, I'm sure. What are they in terms of the consequences of your work? One thing I'd like to see is just in managers being more cognizant of safety issues. And they might have to do some things to keep that from sort of slipping off of the radar, whether that be including it in their compensation plans. They could include safety in the company's internal control function that reports to the audit committee and the board of directors, but something to keep safety sort of front of mind. So I guess then, Professor, uh, the bottom line matters, but safety matters at least as much, if not more. Thank you so much for helping us understand that better and for advising managers and others of the same thing. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Once again, I'm Oren Alney. This is How the World Works, podcast from UCLA Anderson. Join us again. <laughs> <laughs>